I just want to speak honor on you again tonight to say that I get, I get that there are a hundred other places you could be other than here, and you chose instead to say, I'm going to go spend some time digging into the Word of God, preparing my life to follow and obey. And I just, I just speak honor on you for being willing uh, to do that. I hope that tonight will prove valuable, and you'll walk away and go, that was worth uh, an hour, hour and 15 minutes of my life. And my life is different because I invested uh, in this. So thank you again for uh, being here. Let me, uh, just a couple quick things real quick. Uh, they're asking me to say uh, that we'd like to shut off our cell phones on the deal. Um, I don't care, but some mean person asked for that. Um, and then, um, uh, then they're also saying uh, we're still needing some more volunteers. And if you're willing to help out to help make the mine happen... Um, then we're asking, the, kind of on your way out, if you would just hit the info booth that's right there in the middle of the lobby and just say, hey, you know what, I'm willing to do something. What is it you need me to do? They're telling me that they'll train you for it. Most of the jobs are, are relatively simple, and you can uh, help us with that. And then also, if you want to be on the email list, and one of the things that's just incredible is my caddish takes time to make sure that you stay up to date and inform and know what's going on in here. And if you would like to be on the email list, again, if you'll stop by the info booth, let them know. They'll be sure you you know what's happening in this room. You'd know if there was ever any changes, that type of thing, um, if you're a part of that email list. Okay. Hey, the other thing I just want to say uh, real quick um, is that we've got some pretty cool things coming up um, during this series that we're in uh, right now together. Um, this next week, we've got a thing called Streetlight Ministry that is coming, and what this is, is uh, it's local churches in the Phoenix area who have taken a stand to help underage girls who've been forced into prostitution get off the street. And uh, what they've been able to do is actually develop a relationship with the Phoenix Police Department and also with the Glendale Phoenix Police Department. They're working on the east side of the valley right now to say, when you arrest these 13 and 14-year-old girls who've been forced into this lifestyle, rather than throwing them in jail, would you send them to our facility, where, which is Christ-centered, and we will spend time counseling? And the cool thing and the favor that God is granting right now is that actually the city of Phoenix and the city of Glendale have agreed, rather than putting these gals in incarceration, they are sending them to the, this facility and these girls are having hope and rescue. So it's a really powerful thing. We've got a young lady. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, there's a young lady they're going to bring with here that uh, has uh, had this experience in her life. But the other part is you and I are going to figure out how we're going to find out how we can make a difference uh, in this. The other thing that's coming up that I, I just think is amazing and, and really cool for us is uh, for parents, we've got Jim Burns. And guys, if you don't know who Jim Burns is, Jim Burns is like the guru of working with young people. Uh, this, this guy is nationally known, huge name, and we've been able to procure him to come in and just talk to parents about how do you have this ongoing talk about sex uh, with your children, starting from the first talk, but you know, there's more to unfold, and how do you do that as a parent, and how do you, how do you stay involved in your young person's life so that you can help coach them uh, to be Christ-honoring through their teenage years. So I would just say, as if you are a parent and if you are anywhere in that process, you want, this guy is worth going to, you're going to be part of that. And then uh, we've also, on the last Sunday of the series, got Kevin Lehman coming in, who is, again, a nationally known author. I think he's written like 5,000 books or something. He has an unbelievable number of books. 
Uh, but he's coming, he'll be sharing the last thing. And the cool part about it is, is he's actually older than me, if you can imagine that, which means he can say things I can't say and everybody's okay with it. They just go, oh, he's old, it doesn't matter if he says that. And so he gets away with a lot of stuff and I think you'll really enjoy Kevin Lehman being here and then he's actually going to have a seminar, I think, Sunday night, if I'm remembering right. So you'll want to be part of that. I'll tell you what, let's start with a word of prayer and uh, we will just dig into Scripture together again tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just simply come before you and ask that you would take our hearts, let them be open, help us to be willing, even though we may come with preconceived ideas and things that our Sunday school teacher taught us or things that a pastor told us one time, would you allow us to have the integrity tonight to hold those up to Scripture and examine them to see whether they be true or valid or not, and then be willing in those occasions in which they don't line up to make adjustment, to bring our beliefs in line with your word um, so that we can follow you just that much better. God, guide and direct us with your spirit. Teach us tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, we said we were studying the book of Corinthians because the Corinthians were what? Really, really messed up. And so it gives you and I lots of fodder for discussion. I think when we stopped last week, someone said to me, I didn't remember this, but there was a question on the table and I never answered the question. Is that the case? Was there a question that we left hanging last week? Does anyone remember what that question was? I got away with it. Okay. All right. Good. All right. We've got microphone runners tonight. If you have a question, you can raise your hand. It actually makes the room better when you ask and uh, they will come to you with the microphone and um, we will uh, get your question out. For the rest of us. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I believe we made it to verse 10. Does that sound right? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. um, I'll read tonight because I was too rude last time. Here we go. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some, of, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. So what's, what's going on here? What's happening within the Corinthian church? Division is happening within the Corinthian church, and the division is happening based on what? Huh? Different teachers. Personality worship. Isn't it interesting something? Isn't it interesting we're talking about the first century church, so we haven't even gotten into the first hundred years, and we're already getting divided over favorite teachers over personalities within the church. And the church has done this for the last 2,000 years, ever since its inception. And as this is happening, the divisions are happening, or the people that they're claiming, first off, some of them are saying, hey, I'm a follower of Paul. Now, Paul is the one who first came to Corinth, first shared the gospel with them. And so, as they say, I'm the follower of Paul, they're probably looking back to that and saying, That's because he's the one that led us to the Lord. I'm still learning how to write on this thing. Okay, there's the T. Okay, there we go. And he's the evangelist. 
It looks like I'm back in first grade again. All right. It's just, that's just what it is. All right. And, the, and next, there's, some are saying, no, 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 no. I'm of Apollos. Did I spell that right? Two L's. There you go. Okay. Hey, for me, that's close enough. Phonetic spelling. Only one P probably, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm of Apollos. Now, Apollos was the guy who, after Paul leaves, and if you know anything about the ministry of Paul, he typically would go, he'd spend about a year and a half or so within the church, getting it built up, getting it going, and then he would go to the next town and begin all over again. Apollos has come behind, and Apollos has become their Bible teacher within the town. So they would say, hey, Apollos is the one that's helping us go deep. That would be deep. There we go, deep. (laughs) I've got a master's degree, I promise. Okay. And then, some of them are saying, I'm of Cephas. Who knows who Cephas is? Peter is Cephas. So, what's your guess of why some people are lining themselves up with Cephas, with Paul, or I'm sorry, with Peter? Why would they be doing that? Anybody know where Peter would have been coming from doctrinally? More of the Jewish... More likely that he's going to try and incorporate some of the Jewish customs within their belief system. Remember, as you read through the book of Acts, all through the book of Acts, Peter is struggling with how much of our old Jewish heritage needs to stay in the church. Do you have to be circumcised? Is it okay if you're not? Do you have to eat kosher foods? Or can you eat other foods? Remember, Peter struggles with this. And possibly those that are saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm of, I'm of Cephas are saying that because they lean toward that type of a Jewish integration. And then still others say, I am of Christ. That's a capital C. All right, I'm of Christ. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know if they're just being like super spiritual you know, people will do that and they just go, I'm going to rub a little Jesus on it so I look really, really good. Or if they really are trying to say, hey, no, wait a minute, the only person we really ought to be following is Christ. I don't know what that is. I don't know if these people are obnoxious and just need to be slapped around a little bit or if they really are being legit. Here's something I think is a little bit interesting in the midst of the argument as they're doing it. Each of them has a perception over who their leader is and why they want to follow them. And yet, in actuality, their perceptions of their leaders are not even necessarily that accurate. You know, they've called Paul the evangelist, and at the end of the day, who's going to end up writing most of the Scripture in the New Testament? Paul. So, guess who the theologian is? Paul, guess how much of the Bible Apollos ends up writing? None in the deal. So here we are, we're dividing up after men, we're following men, and even in the midst of that, our perception of the men that we're following is a mistaken perception. Now this is, this is tough for us because there really is a tension within the church that says, you and I are to have spiritual leaders. You and I are to have people that we look to and say, I can see that Jesus is legit in them. I can see that they are obedient to Scripture. I can see that they're following God. And I want to model, I want to mirror my life after my leader. And there's a legitimacy to that. But what's the downside? Leaders fail. And at the end of the day, leaders put their pants on just like you do, one leg at a time. 
And leaders are human. And leaders have every capacity in the world to fall. And a matter of fact, many of us know that because we're the generations that live through Jimmy Swagger and Jim Baker. Who was the guy in Colorado Springs? Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard, right? And if you and I put too much confidence in a man or a woman, you and I will have our faith just blown to smithereens. So we live in this tension that says, I want to follow my leader, and yet I can't base my faith upon my leader. Matter of fact, Paul says an interesting thing. He says this, he says, come follow me, but then he adds, even as I follow Christ. And what he's saying that moment, he's saying, look, come follow me because I'm doing my very, very, very best to be obedient to Scripture, to be obedient to God, but follow me only as I am obedient to Christ. Because there may come the moment, there may, there may be that instant in my life that I don't behave the way a leader ought to behave, that I don't act the way that a Christian ought to act. Don't let that blow your faith up. Guys, you just need to hear me say, pastors will fail, Christian leaders will fall, and your and my faith has got to be more than just the worship of an individual. You and I can't say, I follow Jesus because of Lynn or because of Brian, or because of Nike. You and I have got to be able to say, I follow Christ simply because I am a Christ follower. And I do measure at times, and I do take reference points from other followers of Christ who are further along than me, but I am not in this for any other person other than Christ himself. And guys, the only reason I say that is that you and I have to be able to say that to our kids too. Because you know as well as I do, there'll be leaders and people that they trust in their lives who eventually will make bad decisions. And you and I have got to be able to say to them, no, 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 no. Only as they follow Christ. And leaders fall and fail. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 13. Here's Paul's answer to the schisms. Here's Paul's answer to the worship of these men. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And all he's, all he's doing in this moment is he's simply saying, Guys, this isn't ever about us. This has always been about Jesus Christ. And it is just as wrong to worship a man and put your eyes on a man as it is to be actually in sin, to actually be putting your eyes on an idol or to be worshiping your career or to be worshiping your job. It has always been in the beginning and the end about Christ and never about anything else. Was, what's his phrase? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into Paul? The verse 14. I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's interesting. Anybody got a sense of why maybe that's an important passage in Scripture? 
Paul here says, hey, I, I don't remember baptizing anybody there at the church in Corinth. As a matter of fact, he says, that's not what my ministry was. My ministry wasn't about baptizing. My ministry was about the gospel. Why would that passage be important? Okay, so running the microphone, so everyone can hear. Because it, it's not through um, baptism that we're saved, it's through okay. Christ. So here's the deal as we get ready to unpack this together for a moment. You and I have got to have the integrity as we go through Scripture tonight to say, hey, I may have been taught something different all my life. I'm going to hold that up to Scripture and I'm going to decide whether that, that's biblical or accurate or true. So, as we go to this passage, the interesting part about this passage is the passage says, Paul says, I was not given the ministry of baptism. That's not what God may be responsible for. Instead, I was made responsible for the gospel. What is the gospel? Gospel is the good news. Good Bible answer. Good for you. Okay. Okay, so say it another way. What is the gospel? Um, word of God too broad. Huh? The glory of Christ. Okay. Well, 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 what did we say? Plan of salvation. Okay, so here's the answer. The gospel is everything I need to know in order to be a Christian. Everything I need to believe in order to be a Christian. Okay? How many were here last semester before we closed up? We talked about the gospel a little bit. All right, so those of you that have your hands up and remember that, what are the things you have to believe in order to be a Christian? Jesus died on the cross. What else? That he resurrected. What else do you have to believe? That he was God's son. That's the Trinity, so God's son. Okay. Okay, for the penalty of our sins. This is harder than it looks. Did I spell that right? P-E-N-A? Yes? How many don't know? All right. Okay, so if you don't know, I can spell it that way. All right. Penalty of our sins. Okay. What else do I have to believe? I have to believe Lynn's a great pastor. He's coming again. He ascended. What else do I have to believe? That he was born in the flesh. That he was God and only God had the authority to forgive sins. Okay, that he was God. I'm going I'm to stick that with God's son. Okay, as an understanding of that idea. But you're right, I like that. What else do I have to believe? Huh? That his sacrifice was enough. What else do I have to believe? No other way. We're saved by grace. Okay, saved. You guys are making it really hard to get saved. There's a lot of stuff. Saved by grace. Grace. That, that, that's grace right there. Okay. Saved by grace. And that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Okay, so we Christ. said no other way, so I'll leave, I'll leave that one there. All right, so let's, let's back this up a second. All right, so let me ask you some questions because I want you to clarify this. Um, if I believe... That Jesus wasn't the Son of God. If I believe He's just a good man, can I still go to heaven? Okay, so then that would be essential to the gospel, right? If I believe 
that Jesus didn't really die, that He just swooned on the cross. Can I be a Christian? No. So that would be essential to the Gospel. Right? That would be the Gospel. If I believe that He ascended into heaven, what if I don't believe He ascended into heaven? Can I still go to heaven? Alright, how many people say, I think you could not believe that He ascended into heaven... We're not sure how he got there, but he didn't ascend into heaven. I think you could still go to heaven. How many of you say that? How many say, I think you have to believe he ascended into heaven? How many of you are not raising your hand because you're scared to death? Okay, good. All right. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you, you don't have to believe he ascended into heaven. I don't know what else you would believe. You'd be wrong. But I don't think it's essential to the gospel. I think if you believed he went off and lived in a cave after that. I, I don't know. But I don't think it's essential. In other words, it's not crucial to the gospel. Okay? You'd be wrong. Let me say that again. It's just I, don't, I think you could be a Christian and not believe that he ascended. Okay? So I'm going to... There we go. What about uh, he's coming again? Can I be a Christian and not believe that Jesus is coming again? How many say I can, you could be a Christian... And not believe. How many say that? How many say you have to believe Jesus is coming again to be a Christian? Okay. Why? Why do I have to believe? What if, what if, what if I am like many theologians that say, I think everything in the book of Revelation is just allegory. It's just a picture. And Jesus isn't really coming again. But I believe he died on the cross. I believe he died for my sins. I believe that I have to ask him to be my savior, but I just don't believe he's coming back. Can I be a Christian? Okay, say it out loud. I just think you're debating theories at that point. Okay, so the question is, and here we, this is good, this is a great discussion for us, is it essential to the... In other words, the gospel is the bare minimum that I have to believe to be a Christian. And here's why this is important to us, guys, and it's not just me being sticky. You're going to run into all sorts of people that are part of cults. You're going to run into Mormons, and you're going to run into Jehovah Witnesses. You're going, to, you're going to run into all sorts of... You're going to run into Hindus. You're going to run into Muslims. And some of these people are actually going to look at you and say, No, I'm a Christian. Well, are they or aren't they? And the answer is, do you believe the essence of the gospel? Do you believe those things which are absolutely unnegotiable about the story of Jesus that are essential to having true belief in Him as your Savior. And if you do, then you're a Christian. If you don't, then you can't possibly be a follower of Christ. So this question, this what is the gospel, is central to our faith. This is probably the most important discussion you and I can have. What does it take to be a Christian? What do I have to believe at its very, very simplest core? So we had a question. To, okay. Okay, so we'll wait just a second. Okay, because he had the microphone. Uh, I think he, as that whole thing about liar, lunatic, or Lord, and the fact that he is the truth, and if he said he was coming back, I mean, any errors, any lies or inconsistencies are kind of negates his credibility. So I think it's important that you do believe that. Okay, so here's what I'm going to suggest. I agree with you, and please don't hear me wrong tonight. 
I absolutely agree with you that it's important to believe the truth of Scripture and what Jesus said about himself and all of that. But let's just stop for a second. If I'm five years old, and maybe I'm an adult who's leading a five-year-old to Jesus. In other words, this is, this is crucial because some of you are going to lead your own children to Christ. What is it that you have to tell your child, and what is it that your child has to believe in order for them to make a true confession of Christ, to truly make a decision to be a believer? And so my question is, do they have to believe in eternal security? Do, do they have to believe in baptism? Do, do they have to believe that Jesus is coming back again in order to be a Christian? Or are those simply things that are true, absolutely true, and that in maturity they need to learn? But what is it I would tell a five-year-old that they had to know in, other, in order to accept Jesus Christ as Savior? Because here's the answer at the end of the day. Whatever it is that I would tell a five-year-old is what I would tell a 25-year-old or a 55-year-old. Because it's the gospel. It's the central essential things, truths of our faith. So let me ask again. Can I believe that Jesus isn't coming back and still be a Christian? Yes. You'd be wrong, but you'd still be a Christian. Okay? You get that? You'd be wrong. You'd be mistaken, I believe. I think Scripture's pretty clear, but you'd be a Christian. Okay, so the microphone went again. What I think you need to believe is that Christ was the Son of God, that He died for our sins, and that He was resurrected. Exactly what we declare in baptism. Okay. So it is exactly what you declare in baptism. Okay, so let, let, me, let me go one step further, and I agree with that. So here's what, here's what we just said out loud. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins and that He rose again. Why is it important you believe He rose again? He's not man when He rises again. Huh? Death couldn't hold Him. Why is that important? Because would be dead. A human a would human be dead. A human would be dead. But he's not dead. So. And the other part of it is, guys, and God accepted the payment. Payment paid. That's what the resurrection says. Payment paid. Okay? Let me ask you this question. What if I believe that it's Jesus plus? What if I believe it's Jesus plus going to church that gets me to heaven? What if I believe it's Jesus plus going to church plus being baptized that gets me to heaven? Okay, now it becomes works. And now we get, are you ready for this? Now we get full circle back to why this passage is important. Because here's what Paul just said to you and I that I think is super, 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 super important tonight. Let me read it again and see if you catch it. Let's go back. To verse 14, I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. No one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to what? Baptize, but instead to preach the gospel. To preach those things which are absolutely crucial for someone to believe in order to be a Christian. And guess what is not part of that? What did he just say? Baptism. Now guys, this is important to you and me because there are Christian denominations out there that are going to teach. It's Jesus plus. You've got to 
Ask Jesus in your heart plus join our church. You've got to ask Jesus Christ in your heart and be baptized. And it becomes a Jesus plus issue. And here's the scary part of it. Most of the people that I've met that struggle with this probably have the gospel. They probably have figured that part out. But there's got to be a delta. There's got to be a point when you keep trying to add things to the gospel that pretty soon the gospel is not the gospel anymore. Because the gospel is that Jesus took care of our sins and we can't take care of them ourselves. Which is why you and I have every right. Matter of fact, I would claim the necessity to look at our Christian brothers and sisters and say, guys, no, 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 no. It's not membership in your church. It's not baptism. It's not Jesus plus. The gospel is Jesus lived. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose again. And if I ask him to be my savior, he'll do it. That's the gospel. That's what you tell your five-year-old. That's what you tell your 25-year-old. And that's what you tell the 55-year-old. Jesus lived. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. And if I ask him to be my Savior, he'll do it. That's the gospel. Okay? Okay, so the mic's off. I was going to say, therefore, I believe that it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Okay? So here's the deal, guys. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want to get one confused. I'm just as firm as you are on the idea of being doctrinally correct and knowing my Bible. It's just knowing my Bible is not the gospel. Okay? Those are things that I come to with maturity. The gospel, the gospel, Jesus lived, Jesus died for my sins, Jesus rose again. If I ask him in my heart, he'll be my Savior. Okay, so there you go. Hello. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, I think a good example is the uh, thief on the cross who is currently in paradise with Jesus. Yep. He did the minimum, the bare minimum, just simply there you believe, go. and that was it. There you go. And that is, that is a fantastic example. So stop and, stop and think about this moment, okay? Stop and think about this. Here is Jesus hanging on the cross. And you remember, you remember the story. There's a thief on one side, a thief on the other side. One of the thieves begins to curse Jesus. Remember that? The other thief turns to his friend. We think it was his friend and says to him, look, leave the guy alone. We deserve this. We deserve what's happening to us. We're criminals. This man has done nothing. And then he turns to Jesus. Remember what he says? Remember me. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember that? And what does Jesus answer him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, stop and think about this. That guy hanging on the cross next to him, how many times can he go to church? He's not going to make it to church, guys. He's going to die in a little while. Can he get off the cross and get baptized? Matter of fact, if, if baptism is what takes to heaven, wouldn't Jesus have just said, okay, you know what, we're going to get you there, floated off the cross, made a little puddle of water and baptized, then back up on the cross real quick? I mean, if that's what it takes to get you to heaven. And what the thief on the cross teaches you and I is that it is Jesus plus nothing because the thief on the cross next to Jesus can offer him nothing. Salvation is by faith. Question. Does that mean that uh, the thief already knew that Jesus was going to be resurrected? Because he doesn't live to see that. Yeah. In that int- yeah. I don't think he does. And in, 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 the, in the basis of that, and I, I love the question, I don't think at that point he's responsible for that. Because he doesn't know. There's no way he knows that Jesus is going to be resurrected. But you and I, now that Jesus has been resurrected, are absolutely responsible for it. 
because the resurrection is God's seal of approval. This was my son. He is the Savior. Okay? So now that the resurrection has happened, if you and I deny it, you're denying the deity of Christ. You're denying the payment of Christ. Okay? He doesn't have that knowledge at that point. He simply puts his trusting faith in the Savior. Now here's, here's, and you go, well, Lynn, how does that work? How, how can he, how can he get there not knowing the whole story yet? Because you've got to remember the thief on the cross is still in an Old Testament economy. Okay? So, let me see. All right. You guys are looking at me with absolute confusion, so I'm going to help you with that. There's the cross. This is the Old Testament. This would be the New Testament, which we also call what age? Anybody know? The church age. We call it the church age because guess what's here during this age? The church. Okay, you're good. All right, you guys are sharper than I thought. Okay. So this is the Old Testament. And during the Old Testament, what are these guys doing? They're all sacrificing sheep. They're going to the temple every single year. Why has God got them sacrificing sheep? To pay for their sins? Huh? Sacrificing the sheep does not pay for the sins. It is an act of faith. And what they're having faith in is simply this. I am bringing this little lamb with the belief, you ready for this? That one day God will send the lamb. And I will shed this little lamb's blood in faith that one day the lamb of God will shed his blood for me. And every year they did that as an act of saying, I don't understand this thing fully. I don't totally get it. I simply know that God has said someday, someday the sacrifice will happen. The real sacrifice will come. And until that day comes, I will come by faith every year and offer my sacrifice. The Old Testament saints are saved by believing the cross will happen. They don't know it. And guys, nobody in the Old Testament had any idea that Jesus would die on a cross. They just knew that God... Remember when Abraham gets ready to offer Isaac? Remember that story? And at the end, when Abraham gets done and God provides the lamb, remember what Abraham names and says, this place will always be known as God will provide. All the Old Testament saints live saying simply this, I don't know how this works, I don't know what it looks like, but God will provide the lamb. That's the reason we refer to Jesus as the lamb of God. You and I, with better knowledge, look back, and here's what we believe to be Christians. God provided the lamb. God provided my way of salvation. But the reality is both Old Testament and New Testament believers have always been saved by looking for the cross. They didn't fully understand it, but they were looking for the cross. In the same way that you and I sit right now looking for the second coming of Jesus, and we only understand a little bit of it, I guarantee you when it happens we'll go, oh, that's how it works. That's how the Old Testament saints looked to the cross. Does that make sense? People are going, okay, so just be confused. It's good. All right. Okay. Yep, another question. My question is, is there a difference between not knowing and looking at God's word and not believing? Yes. 
Yes, and Scripture does say that those who have been told more will be held more accountable. But at the end of the day, and here's what you need to hear me say, the only way that anyone ever gets to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we have John chapter 14 that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says, and no one gets to the Father but by me. Not by being a good person, not by being nice. No one gets to heaven by me, which means, so let's bring the other shoe down, if there's somebody in a foreign country who never hears the gospel, the good news, do they go to heaven? Isn't that a great question? Does a person who never has a chance to hear the gospel go to heaven? Okay, how many people? All right, so we're going we're gonna to do this understanding that someone in the room is going to be wrong. Okay? How many people say, I think if someone never hears the gospel, God makes an exception, they go to heaven. We're going to let them in. How many people say, no, you have to hear the gospel? Okay. Grab your Bibles. Hmm. You guys know this verse. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. Okay, actually, let's start in verse 15. Here's what it says. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but the world uh, <clears throat> to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. How do you get to heaven? You believe in the Son of Christ, Son of God. You believe on Jesus Christ. It's the only way to get to heaven. And ignorance, okay, ignorance is not an excuse. Yep. Okay, so wait, we'll, all right, so we're going to back off infants. We're not going to do infants yet. Okay? Okay? So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about people who could have made a decision. Infants can't make decisions. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what, let's do one more one more one more verse because I got you guys scared. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We are cruising through 1 Corinthians. Have you caught on to that? We are, we're going to get done with 1 Corinthians in about 2020. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. How much time do we have? Where are we at on time? We got eight minutes. Eight minutes. Oh, we can land this in eight minutes. All right. Here it is. You ready? For the wrath of God is being revealed. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Suppress the truth. Okay, and what suppresses is saying, look, God's wrath is being revealed against men who push away, push down the truth. So what is the truth they're pushing away? You ready? Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Okay, so what did that passage just say? It says, hey, 
every man, every woman who's ever lived in this world should know something. What should they know? There is a God. And how should they know that there is a God? And Scripture says, Romans says, because you should be able to see the invisible qualities of God in creation. So let's stop for a second. When you look up at the stars at night, and even if you don't get that they're millions and billions of miles away, when you look up there, how many people go, you know, I think I made those. I think I, think, I, think I burped and woo, stars. How many mothers in this room, when you've given birth to a child, looked and said, I designed that. See, I'm just telling you, I don't, think, I don't think any woman in the world who's ever given birth should be able to be an atheist. Because here's what you know at the end of that day. You didn't do that by yourself. You didn't. And that's all that Scripture is saying is, look, if you just stop and use your wits for a moment, here's what you're going to know. There is something or someone out there that is bigger than me, that is stronger than me, and is smarter than me. I may not know who he is, I may not know what he is, but he's got to be bigger than me, he's got to be stronger than me, and he's got to be smarter than me, because I'm looking at a universe and creation that has all of those qualities that I don't have. And here's what Scripture says. Instead of doing that, we won't go through the rest of Romans, it says they chose instead not to decide that there was a God, but instead they decided to worship creation. They began to worship snakes, and they began to worship trees, and they began to worship idols instead of the Creator. And it doesn't take a brain in your head to go, look, no, 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 who made the snake? Someone bigger, smarter, stronger than the snake. And instead they chose to worship creation and not the Creator. And Scripture says, and so they are without excuse. But here's what you and I have to also believe. If a person would have in that moment said, I know there's someone bigger than me, I know there's someone stronger than me, I know there's someone smarter than me, I just don't know who he is, that God would not have left them there. That God would have been sure that they got the rest of the story. Because, what does Scripture say? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's also, let me say this out loud, it's why it's so important for you and I who know the story, to tell the story. It's why we do missions work, guys. It's why you tell your neighbors. It's why you invite your friends. Because no one has excuse. You have to know Jesus as Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, but by me. Okay? Now, I know there's probably, and we're going to finish on this, but I know there's a couple people going, that still bugs me. I, I think I'm still bothered by this line, and that's okay. So go ahead and read your Bibles. <laughs> but let's just, do, let's just do a little bit of a brain teaser here. Let's say for a second that God actually gave free passes to the people who didn't hear the gospel. Let's just say he did that. So, in other words, if you live in Africa, and you live in some tribe off in the bush somewhere, and you don't hear then God says, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a free pass. Okay? Sounds good until you stop and consider this. If that were the case, then do you realize the very best thing that you and I could ever do is never tell anybody about Jesus? Because then nobody would hear and everybody would get a free pass. 
So actually, telling someone about Jesus is the worst curse you could ever do if that's the system. Make sense? Because if everybody who doesn't hear gets a free pass, then don't tell anybody about the Son of God so they can all get their free passes. And you know, as well as I do, the Scripture says just the opposite. Scripture says, you go tell everybody you can this story. Why? Because if they don't know the story, they'll never know the Savior. And you have to have a Savior to go to heaven. Okay? It's just the answer. And go to Scripture over and over again. You'll get there. You'll find it. Okay, so real quick, we're going to end this real fast. What about, what about children? And what about uh, people who are born maybe with um, special needs and, and could never make this decision? I do believe, as best I can get from Scripture, now you just got there. Because remember what did we say that the people, remember Romans chapter 1? They are without excuse. Why? Because they should have known. They should have had the intelligence to say, someone's bigger than me, someone's smarter than me, someone's stronger than me. But an infant can't figure that out. They don't have that capacity. So Romans 1 doesn't apply. And a special needs child, there's no way a special needs child figures this out. And so God says, look, I'm not going to hold them accountable. And here's how we're pretty sure that that's exactly what Scripture's saying. It's in 1 Samuel. And do you remember the story of, uh, I'm not going to go there because it's too long, but I'll give it, you can read it at home. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? How many remember that story a little bit? Okay. So you remember when Bathsheba turns up pregnant, David has her husband Uriah killed. Remember that? And now Bathsheba comes in the palace, she delivers the baby, and remember the baby gets deathly ill. And David begins to go into fasting, he puts uh, sackcloth on, he pours ashes over his head, and he is praying, God, please, 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 I know I sinned, I know I was wrong, please don't kill this baby, please don't take this baby away. Turns out the baby dies. All of David's men huddle around and go, who's going to tell the guy? I mean, the guy is already so distraught. He is so messed over. He, I mean, if he's this upset at the baby being sick, imagine what David will do if someone tells him the baby is dead. And finally, one guy draws the short straw and he goes into David and he says, David, I, I just got to tell you the baby's dead. And David at that moment says, okay, well, bring me some bath water, bring me something to eat, bring me some oil to pour over my head. And the guy goes, what, David, this is so, you're, 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 you're in bizarre land. I mean, when the baby was still alive, you were in sackcloth, you refused to have food, you were pouring ashes over your head. Now the baby's dead and you're taking a bath. And here's what David answered. When the baby was still alive, I hoped that maybe I could change the mind of God. So I prayed. I begged God to reconsider. But now that God has made his decision... Here's what David said. I know that I will see that child one day in heaven. And you and I bank on the confidence of David that says, you know what? What David knew, you and I know. And that is that infants who die and don't have the capacity to demonstrate belief, God takes them to heaven. And David's confidence is your and my confidence in this situation. Okay? So there's the answer on that. We're good? Okay. How many people are... All right, all right, we're good. Okay. All right, so we're going to stop there. That's time.
We're going to come back and actually do two more verses in 1 Corinthians next week and just cruise through this book. Let me pray to close, and I will hang around and I will talk if you guys want to talk. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your word and uh, thank you for your truth. God, I'm just going to ask that you would take the things that we're discussing and again, that you would just pour them deeply within our hearts, help us to learn this stuff. God, if we, if we leave here with nothing more than just an absolute clear understanding of the gospel, then God, we've left here better tonight uh, than when we came in. And God, we thank you for the truth of scripture and we thank you for the fact that you have trusted us to take this incredible story of Jesus and tell everybody on the face of the earth that Jesus is Savior. God, thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, thank you guys. See you next week.